third, Missouri voters will be asked to choose among candidates for the Secretary of State's job. This powerful statewide office is responsible for defending or rejecting ballot language and enforcing election integrity. In this editorial board interview, incumbent Jay Ashcroft defends his four-year record in office and responds to our questions about some of his more controversial decisions that might cause voters to question whether he deserves another four-year term. Participating in the interview are editorial page editor Todd Robertson and editorial writer Kevin McDermott. Good to see you, Secretary. How's everything going? Thank you. Uh, things are going well. Uh, glad to be home, been traveling the state, making sure people know how to vote, and it's nice to be back in Jeff City. Not that this is going to play in anything having to do with, with our questions, but uh, how close were you to the governor in that appearance uh, a couple of days ago, and, and were you tested? Um, uh, I was tested. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what the availability of tests were and everything, and um, I got back into Jeff City, I don't know, 6.30 on Wednesday night, I guess that was, and uh, was able to get tested. Uh, I didn't really meet the requ- I probably wasn't closer than, I don't know, I was maybe eight or nine feet away from him on the stage because the lieutenant governor was between uh, me and the governor, and then, of course, we were stepped back. But it seemed like people would feel better, and... I was worried about the next day meeting with other people. Uh, the off chance that I was, I didn't want to get somebody else sick. So yeah. uh, found out that I could take the test, found out it didn't you know, stop someone else from being able to do it. So I availed myself of that. All right. All right. Well, let's dig in here. Um, a simple housekeeping question just to keep us from having to uh, go all over the Internet to uh, answer this. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 47. 47. All right. Very good. I may age a couple of years before November 3rd, but right now I'm 47. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, someone who, who might be helping you in that aging process is uh, the, the leader of your party, President Trump. I'm just uh, uh, curious, where do you and President Trump agree on the integrity of uh, the mail-in voting system for November 3rd, and where do you disagree? Well, I, th- I think we both agree that the most important way and the safest, most secure, best way to make sure your vote counts is to do it in person. Uh, we, I think we both agree uh, that mail-in ballots are not as secure both for the system and they're not as uh, secure for making sure your vote counts. Historically, we've seen rates between 2 and 3% over many, many elections in Missouri where 2 to 3%, normally closer to 2%, of people that participate uh, not in person, their vote doesn't count. And I think it's important that uh, government uh, at least suggest people use the best way possible, the easy, safe way where the vote will count. But of course, uh, the legislature changed the law. And if people want to use absentee mail-in ballots or absentee ballots that they'll send back and they meet the requirements, that's okay. And, of course, any Missouri registered voter may request a mail-in ballot. That's their choice. But the best way to make sure your vote counts is in person. And, you know, when you talk about the potential for fraud, we only have to look back four years ago. Uh, Just go back to 2016 when you had uh, then Representative Hubbard running against uh, a not-so-well-known challenger, Bruce Franks, 
who on, on election day, I'm not exactly sure of the numbers. I think it was around 5248. Uh, Representative Hubbard won uh, that primary, went to court. And actually, this is weird for me to say, but I thought your paper did a great job of looking into all the problems with the absentee ballots. You actually reached out to voters and said, I never voted, and yet there's a ballot with my name on it. Uh, a city judge uh, required a new vote, and then uh, now, well, retired Representative Franks actually won that new election, I believe, about 75 to 25. So I don't want to say that every mail-in ballot or every non-in-person ballot is fraudulent. I, I'm not saying that, but it's easier to cheat in with that sort of methodology. It's easier for there to be problems. Uh, we've seen that here in Missouri. And if people want to choose mail-in ballots or absentee ballots, that's they're allowed to do that under the law. But I want it not only to be easy for people to vote, I want them to know that their vote counts. And the best way to do that is in person. So, okay, just to clarify, two, two important things, though. One, you, you, you certainly would agree that, that this election involves some particularly extraordinary circumstances. I mean, the governor of this state has tested positive for the coronavirus. Under these circumstances, is it not totally understandable that uh, hundreds of thousands of Missourians uh, would want to vote by mail and not take that risk? Well, what I said, first off, is we've had three elections in Missouri under COVID. We had the presidential preference primary where we had the greatest turnout we've ever had with an incumbent president on the ballot. We had our municipal elections that were moved from April to June. And then we had our August primary where uh, in this August, we had about a 30% better turnout than we had had four years ago in August. Uh, we've had successful, safe elections. Even if you look at Wisconsin, there have been uh, peer-reviewed scientific studies that have shown that there wasn't an increase in COVID transmission or COVID infection by those elections. And we're not taking 180 polling places down to five like they did, that's nuts. Um, so I would say it is safe to vote in person. However, the people have the right under the law, if they want to do a mail-in ballot, any registered voter may do that. If you meet one of the seven excuses for an absentee ballot, you may do that. I'm not telling anybody they can't. What I'm saying is the best way to make sure your vote counts and the safe way to vote also is to vote in person. But the people of the state will make their own individual decision within the law how they want to vote. Are, are you worried that, that the president's uh, uh, statements, particularly this week, the kinds of statements that just yesterday elicited a, a Senate resolution, um, uh, that, that, that uh, he is undermining public confidence in the integrity of this election? You know, I, I don't even know what the, what the president said yesterday. I was on the road actually talking to Missourians and making sure that they could have faith in Missouri elections, that they know uh, who the trusted information, where they could get trusted information from trusted sources. Um, and that's what I'm going to speak to. I have faith in the people of this state. You cannot be an election administrator and not have faith in the people of the state. Uh, the, a, a large portion of what I do is making sure that the people of the state have their voice heard in, non, in the nonpartisan administration of elections. If I believe they have the, the wisdom and, and wherewithal to decide who's going to lead them and how to amend our Constitution, I trust their wisdom on how to live their lives and who to listen to also. Well, so when the, when the president says, as, as he said this week, basically that he doesn't trust 
America's election system that he believes that it's rife with fraud. And, and he's not just talking about things like the Hubbard situation, which was a local race. I mean, he's saying that the Democratic Party is basically running a scam and using mail-in ballots to, to ensure his defeat. And he's saying he's not necessarily going to accept the resulting outcome have you said anything publicly to say, listen, this isn't true, folks? You, you, there's no indication of this. I mean, as the state's chief election authority, shouldn't that maybe be your role? As the chief's election, chief, as the state's chief election authority, what I've consistently told people is that the best way to vote is in person, and that's true. Well, that wasn't my only- question, though. My question was about addressing this president undermining public faith, and though you just said your faith in the voters, I think you should. Um, he's basically said that he doesn't, and and he. Well, uh, uh, a, I didn't hear what he said, and B, I don't believe he ever said he didn't have faith in voters. Okay, he it's, it's not the voters we're talking about; it's the system that he's questioning. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, but he's 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 essentially saying um, he doesn't he doesn't have any faith in in the outcome of this election. He and he said it again on Wednesday. He was asked to commit to a peaceful transfer of power, and he said. We'll have to see what happens because the mail-in ballots are a disaster. Well, they're not a disaster. He can't point to anything that indicates that. Well, um, I would point to stories that you had in the Post-Dispatch during the the Hubbard v. Franks where you talked about the potential. Those those were not mail-in ballots. Those were not mail-in ballots either. They were in person. Uh, No, they weren't all in person. They were absentee ballots that people had not done in person. But they were not mail-in ballots. Absentee in person at the time. They they were not mail-in ballots. They were collected and handed in as a group by by Hubbard's, uh, I believe, Hubbard's uh, um, uh, family. I'm not disagreeing with what you've said, Todd, um, but the same thing that was done in that, that election potentially could be done with absentee and mail-in ballots that are not done in person in this election. Our office is doing everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. We're working with local election authorities, but coming right down to it, the best way for people to vote and know that their uh, vote will count is to vote in person. And I'm going to consistently preach what is best for people while still making sure they know what their other options are, because I believe the people of the state can make their own decision. All right. So, so now there's there there are aspects. I I know you sent out a mailer uh, to explain to people um, the voting procedure if they want to uh, to vote absentee or, or mail in. Um, I'm just curious, just in in your own words, if you can explain why some of these ballots must be notarized and some do not have to be notarized. Can some voters be trusted but others cannot? Well, first of all, I, sh- let me, I may have misled you earlier when I was talking about the mailer. The mailer goes out early next week. It has okay. not gone on yet. It's at the printer right now. I don't, don't want to mislead you there. Um, with regard to me uh, sending these out, I'm explaining what the law says. Um, as uh, you have probably said in editorials before, you, you want to make sure I follow the law. Uh, you all actually had a great editorial uh, several months ago when COVID started about the fact that even in a pandemic, elected officials need to follow the law. And what I'm doing is I'm taking the language of the law and I'm making sure people understand how they can vote absentee, how they can vote by mail, and of course that in-person uh, is best. I did not agree with the bill that was passed by the legislature. 
Um, I had several reasons uh, for why I didn't like it. Uh, obviously, I didn't like that they stripped out photo ID fix. I didn't like that they made it so we really couldn't use uh, ballot drop-off boxes that we had worked with uh, uh, local author election authorities to make sure those could be used and could be used in a secure manner to make things easier for people. I, I thought the law was confusing. There, there are a myriad of reasons uh, that I wasn't in favor of that, but it's one thing for me to speak out on a, a policy to, in a policy way while that bill is being debated. Once it's been passed and the governor has signed it and it's law, it's my job. I took an oath to enforce it and implement it. Uh, so that's why I've been spending the time I have making sure people understand what their rights are, how they may vote. And, um, you know, if, if, if I get too much into other things, then that might actually confuse people. I don't want to do that just over a month before the election. Now, your, your spokesman said in August um, okay. that that uh, while that, that legislation was being negotiated, you were not a part of the negotiations. You were not there to, uh, to advise. Um, why not? Um, I was originally, and then evidently the decision was made to have discussions about that bill without me. I, 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 I am not a member of the legislature. Um, that would have to be asked of someone else. You know, you were you were deliberately excluded from the conversation. I can only speak to the fact that um, I was a part of some discussions, and then discussions continued that uh, I was I was not a part of. What does that say about your party? I mean, the the members of your own party that that the, they would take a statewide elected official whose specific mission is elections, uh, administering elections, and not you give know, that person a voice in in the conversation. Well, I mean, I did have a voice in, at at least the beginning of the conversation. I think what they would say is, we're a big party, we're a big tent, we have a lot of differing views. And um, they just decided to go in a, in a direction that was different than mine. I mean, we're not the Democrat Party. And not everyone has to believe in lockstep. We, we have people that disagree and have different ideas. And I think that's a strength of our party. Uh, normally to have, uh, you know, sometimes we cuss and discuss and uh, come up with better ways to do things. I, you know, didn't necessarily agree with the way they went on this one. I didn't agree with it. But now my job is to implement it and to make sure the people of the state know how they can vote. And that's what I'm concentrating on. Mr. Secretary, you, you heard uh, the recent, or perhaps you haven't, I don't know, the recent uh, report that in a couple of counties the wrong version, yes. Amendment 3, went out. And, of course, that, that, that's local election authorities' responsibility. But your opponent uh, essentially says, well, you know, this wouldn't have happened had it not been for the chaos, underlying chaos and the language change and the court getting involved and the original language being, according to the court, misleading. How do you respond to that? Well, um, what I would say is what happened, and yes, I did know about it. We've worked with the clerks. We've identified all the affected voters. Uh, we've actually worked with the post office to stop absentee ballots that were on the way to voters that we thought were uh, the wrong ballot and have sent out new absentee ballots. It really came down to there was a problem with the printer, uh, both in Buchanan County and Vernon County. Uh, the printer had been given the right information, and they, they printed them wrong, and some how people messed that in, missed that in trying to get those ballots out quickly. It would really help if we would move our August primary earlier in the year 
so that we were giving election authorities more time so we weren't having court decisions that were changing language or individuals on the ballot at the last minute. In our municipal elections in uh, Texas County, I believe it was, we actually had a judge that changed the ballot two weeks before the election. Um, so one of the things that I've worked with the uh, with the legislature is to try to move that date back so that we have time to do ballot. I'm involved in maybe double-digit lawsuits right now, so I, I want to be polite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, but, but the underlying issue here was, I mean, that original ballot language, I just looked at it before this conversation, and it it sounded like an advertisement for passage of Amendment 3. And, and I, I mean, was the judge wrong to say that was misleading? Because it looked misleading to me. You know, it seemed, A, I didn't write that language. That was language that was written by the legislature. Um, I, I did glance at it. And it seemed to me that it was very similar to the language that had been used uh, a couple years prior to change redistricting in the state. And it, I guess my thought was, if, if it was good two years ago, uh, the same standard should have been applied to the legislature. But I guess the no, court disagreed with me. Specify, because I, I don't, I'm not even sure. What, what exactly is your uh, level of power over what, what the language in a ballot says? Can you decide? It, it varies. Um, if the legislature passes something like that and they do not uh, write the language in what they pass, then it's just as if it's an initiative petition and it comes to my office and we write the language for it. And then, of course, it can go to judicial review. In this instance, the legislature, uh, as part of their joint resolution, had actually written what the ballot language should be. Um, so uh, my office has no authority, control or oversight of that. All we do is when that was passed and signed, we then uh, certified that language. And then when it went to court, we let the election authorities know that although we had sent them certified language, it was being litigated. And then when the litigation was over with, we sent out a supplemental certification of the new language. But um, we have no authority over the language in the legislature. So, right why, uh, so why, why, why certify it if you have no authority? What, what, is, that, what is that process? What I, I'm sorry, I don't, what I do is I certify to the election authorities what should be on the ballot. So there's a, I'm, the, the, in this, when it's originally passed, since they had written the language, it's signed by the governor, then I tell the election authorities, this is the language that was in the joint resolution, the legislators put this language on your ballot. Then when it went to court, we let the, the, the clerks know that, hey, it might get changed. Then when the court said, no, this is the language that should be on the ballot, uh, and that's why I was a member of the lawsuit, was so that the court's holding on the language would apply to me, then our office sent out a supplemental certification of what should be on the ballot, and that was the changed language uh, for that constitutional issue. Okay. Just just to clarify, so, so you had been in touch with uh, the local uh, local county officials uh, and made very clear to them that the ballot language was required to be changed. They fully understood it. It was yes. the printer who didn't understand it. Uh, my understanding from talking to, yeah, A, yes, we'd, I think we let them know on maybe the second or the third, but I could be wrong on that date. If you need the exact date, I can check with my office. Um, we did verify that Buchanan County and Vernon County had sent the correct language to the printer 
but the original language had gone to the printer and in Buchanan County, uh, the woman that was doing the ballot either got sick or took, had to go on vacation. Another individual took over that for her and assumed that the language had already been updated. I don't exactly know what happened in Vernon County, but I, we have been able to verify that both um, election authorities sent the corrected information to the printers and uh, it was not used. Okay. All right. Well, you're, you're, uh, we had a 30 minute uh, uh, conversation with your opponent, and, and as you might expect, uh, as it happens in pretty much every election, uh, he unloaded on you. I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to tell us why uh, you're the better person for the job. Well, you know, I would point to what we've actually done. Uh, I, I've been in office almost four years now. Even in COVID, we've had three successful elections. I, I even testified in front of Congress maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, because they wanted to listen to someone that could say, this is how you run an election well in COVID and have uh, in-person voting where, where people are safe and you don't have long lines. Uh, we've been able to get major changes in the election law done. We you know, there's been a lot of talk this year about the Postal Service and how late you can request about. We actually moved that date up a week two years ago, working with the legislature and the uh, election authorities. We moved it up because we had already realized that individuals weren't getting their absentee ballots uh, from the election authority in time, filling them out and voting them from the count. We've made changes in the elections. We've made changes with our Safe at Home program. We've done real changes with regard to electronic notary, electronic and remote notary which uh, three years ago when we were pushing this, it wasn't exactly a very exciting topic. I guess it's not that exciting now, but I think people understand that it's, it's much more important for a business to be able to, to move forward when people can't uh, meet and do things face-to-face -face necessarily. We've done things with uh, the Senior Saver Investors Protection Act to make sure that we're protecting our, se our seniors and also uh, encouraging uh, the securities uh, environment and business so they have good jobs and people can invest. I, I would just look at the record of what we've done. I think I've probably been the most active Secretary of State in working at the local le level in decades. I travel to every county in the state at least once every year, and I do that because it helps me to see what I can be doing as a state official uh, to make things better for the people of the state. I've, I started, we're going to have our third annual educators I'm sorry, legislative retreat on education this year, where we're really trying to find common ground between Democrats and Republicans and focus on children and say, how can we make sure that every child in the state gets a good education? We're doing that without any tax. Well, there may be some North Carolina taxpayer money that's used in that, but there's no Missouri taxpayer fund used on that. So I would look at the record. I'd look at how we've comported ourselves and how we've acted and how we've gotten things done. And, um, you know, just this week, uh, we do what's necessary to make sure that everybody in this state that's either registered, if they're not registered, they can get registered through the uh, through the first week of October to make sure that those elections go smoothly. And I, I hope that people will look at the record and how I've acted and will say we want government to continue to act at that high level. Do you, do you think – go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say regarding voter ID, which obviously was a – was contentious when it was passed and you were that's you were, always contentious <laughs> always contentious you and you were one of its champions and i was a reporter then covering this and uh, i remember it well and uh it's been in and out of the courts since then obviously partially struck down um one of the issues back then was whether was whether the 
problem that this was created to address, impersonating another voter, happens on any scale that was worth all of this. And, and, and you, you claimed repeatedly that, oh, it happens a lot, but when I pressed you, you can only come up with one example. When CNN pressed you in, I think, 2017, you could only come up with one example. And I gave the same example, yeah. Um, there one example? Did we do all this because of one voter impersonation? Because experts say it almost never happened. First off, there's not just one reason to do it. Um, when you're running elections, there are two things you have to do. You not only have to run the election so that it's run well, but you have to do it in such a way that people understand that it's been run well so that they can have confidence in it. Because if they don't have confidence in it, they won't participate. And we already have a problem with, frankly, far too many people not participating in our elections that could. Um, so it's not just the one. So, and, but, but going back to your original question, it is almost impossible to know if someone votes in someone else's name. Uh, about the only way you can know that it happens is if the poll worker recognizes the name and says you're not that person, which actually happened in New York when they were testing the system. Um, but what we did with photo ID was we were able to get past a process where we could get, at the very least, even, even if what you're saying is true, Kevin, and I don't normally agree with you, you know that, um, but if what you're saying is completely true, we passed a regime where people could have more faith in the election and we weren't stopping any registered voters from being able to vote. In fact, the way that photo ID was passed and the way it still would have been after we tried to get legislation to fix it, this, this legislative uh, term, we have been having people that could vote in our elections that would have been turned away under the old law. Since photo ID has been passed, I have been able to say with complete honesty that if you're a registered voter and you go to your polling place on election day, you can vote. And that's what we ought to that's what we ought to try to do. It shouldn't just be about securing our elections. It should be about securing our elections and making sure that every registered voter can vote. We did that. It was some compromises in it. That's what we ought to do. I, I, you know, I've been sued. I, I, I can't even tell you how many times, probably three or four, maybe five times over photo ID. You know what the funny thing is? No one's been able to point to a single voter in about four years now that wouldn't be able to vote under the law. And every major election, we have voters that are able to vote under the photo ID law that wouldn't have been able to vote under the new law. We've expanded access to make sure that every voter, every registered voter can vote. And I would hope we could agree that that's a good thing. But any time you're adding new requirements to the process of voting, isn't isn't that just by by its very nature? Well, but we we didn't just add new requirements. We added there were three ways under that law that people could get their ballot. Remember, the first way uh, was that they could use that government issued photo ID, that driver's license, that passport, the military ID, that sort of thing. The second way, and this has changed because of the court, so I'm not saying that this is the way it is now, but when it was passed. The second way was you could use a secondary form of identification and you signed the signed statement. It's not an affidavit. It was an affidavit in the law or the bill. And then they changed that before they passed it because they were afraid that would frighten people away. And then the third thing was they said that any anyone that says, hey, I'm registered and they find that person in the registry, but they can't prove their identity, they can fill out a provisional ballot. There are people that are walking in without any ID that are that are filling out provisional ballots, they would have been rejected before the law 
don't you have under to, this law they are actually getting to have their vote count don't you have to follow up with the provisional ballot don't you what don't you have to follow up with the? I mean, how does that work? The provisional um, ballot. You don't have to follow up with the provisional ballot. You can. Um, every, well, the, the provisional. Uh, what we're finding. Well, I'll explain. Um, if you want to follow up on a provisional ballot, your provisional ballot envelope has a. I, I hate to talk about voting and compare it to a 50-50 drawing, but there's a tab you pull off, like in a 50-50 drawing. So your ballot envelope has a code on it, and you have that code. You can follow up to find out what happened with your ballot. That doesn't affect whether or not your ballot is counted or not. Under the law, every uh, every one of those provisional ballots has to go through the process. If you don't come back and prove your identity, they then use your signature against the signature they have on file for every voter. So you actually don't have to come back and do anything. And what we find is 98, 99% of those actually do end up counting. So uh, uh, we're running out of time here. Uh, you've had four years to look around the country and possibly consider whether uh, you, you yourself mentioned, you know, that there's still a problem with, with uh, inadequate voter participation. You've had a chance to look around the country, see how other states do it. Uh, I look to the state where I used to live in, a Republican, total supermajority Republican state of Texas. And uh, in Texas, I used to be able to go from my office just down the street, cast my, my ballot as, as much as two weeks before the election. I didn't have to be in my precinct. It, it's called early voting. Why could something like that not be adopted here? Well, we do have something like that. We have absentee ballot, and we have absentee in-person voting. And if you've been watching the news, you'll see that a lot of people have actually been taking advantage of that. But you know that's radically different from, from early voting. Early voting it's is just not, being able to walk in. Exact, it's not the exact same thing. I agree with you on that, but it's not radically different. I mean, people that can't go to the polls on election day, they can vote early. That is a type of early voting. You just want an expanded sense. I understand that. No, it's, it's, think, it's no excuse voting. You Whoever you are, you just go on in and you vote. Uh, I would say that that has been a, a real topic of conversation in the legislature the last couple of years. I think uh, Senator Hegeman has looked at expanding that. I think uh, that uh, Representative Peggy McGall, who's on the elections committee, has looked at that, a former county clerk. I, I assume that that will be quite a topic of conversation in the upcoming year, especially after we look back upon this year. I will tell you that um, I'm much more in favor of people voting in person than I am of having to trust the post office or notaries or things like that. So I'd be much more open to in-person uh, early voting than I would be to expanding mail-in voting. Okay. But in four years in office, that's not been something that you've gone before the legislature and said, you know what, other states are doing this, Republican states, it works. Why not look at it here? Well, I mean... It, it is a burden on local election authorities. I'm not sure that it's something that, that we need to do. Um, what we found is that it doesn't increase participation. It shifts when people participate. I think when early voting was first brought up, the idea was that it would get more people to participate uh, than were at the time. And, and what we're seeing from states that do that is it really doesn't make more people participate. It shifts when people participate. 
um, I guess, you know, I liken it a little bit to being uh, on trial for something and half the jurors uh, casting how they decide about your guilt or innocence as soon as the prosecutor is done and before you get to present your defense. I, I don't think that's best for, for our republic. I, I don't think it's good for challengers. I think early voting is really good for incumbents because incumbents have name ID. They can get earned media more easily. Uh, they generally have more money. Uh, but for challengers, it's much more difficult. And I think we've seen that, in, especially with some of our, our, our presidential primaries earlier this year across the nation, where uh, people were making media buys and a third to almost a half of the people in that state had already voted. I'm just not sure that's really good uh, for our country. But uh, as I've said always, I will follow the law. And uh, although I'm not real big on the way 631 was written, I'm doing everything I can to make sure people understand that. And I'm enforcing it as written by the legislature and signed by the governor. All right. Kevin, any other questions? We are really running out of time. I think, I think uh, that covers it for me. All right. Well, this has been very, very helpful. It's been a good conversation. I'm sorry it, it, uh, we don't have these conversations more often with you. Well, thank you, you two. You have a great day. Have a good weekend, too, okay? All righty. Take care. Thank you. Bye.